On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Chris White. He is the CTO of Prefect. We're going to be talking about when you start a formal product organization within the company, because obviously a lot of startups out there, a high growth, um, the tipping point of needing to break out the product management responsibilities is a tricky thing. Uh, it seems more art than science and really excited to have Chris on so he can share his thoughts on this. Chris, thanks for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks, Samir, for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Thank you. I guess I always ask uh, guests to do two things. One is to tell us what their company does. So if you can tell us what Prefect does. And also, I know CTO is a pretty uh, standard title, but just if you can tell us what your responsibilities, you know, what falls under your on your plate at Prefect. Yeah, for sure. So I guess uh, starting with what Prefect does. So we're the kind of tagline is we're a data workflow automation and orchestration service. Okay, so that's, you know, maybe a bunch of buzzwords. So what's the idea? One way that we conceptualize this, we split the world into positive engineering and negative engineering. And what we mean by that is positive engineering are the things that, you know, data practitioners spend time on that is actually insight generating. So, you know, actually achieving the goal of moving data maybe from your production database to your data warehouse, actually building a model on top of that data warehouse, like that is where your actual value add comes in as a data practitioner. But as Everyone knows when you're in a data role, that's not what you spend a lot of your time doing ultimately, especially in data engineering. There's a lot of really easy examples, scheduling being one of them. You have some process that you want to productionize, put it on a schedule that's actually easier said than done. And then there are just lots of things like brittle APIs. Okay, now you have to implement retry logic. So all of that negative space of things that are not insight generating is what we classify as negative engineering. And orchestration and automation, I put into that category. It's a big space, but things like scheduling, providing easy interfaces to powerful tool sets like Kubernetes, achieving parallelism for your workflow in some simple way that maybe you don't have to think too deeply about, retries, caching, observability into the state of your pipelines and alerts. You know, the list can go on, but that's the feature set of Prefect. And then we have a really large open source component. And then, of course, Prefect Cloud, which is essentially an orchestration API that you can use to orchestrate and automate your code that you've written with our open source solution. So you actually get to own your execution environment, which is, for a lot of people, a security feature. I know CTO is a pretty standard title, but everyone has different things that kind of fall on their plate. I guess in your case, uh, what do you deal with on a day-to-day basis? So that question can go a lot of different directions. I do a lot of different things. Sometimes I joke that uh, CTO at a tech startup specifically just means chief triage officer, right? In most tech startups, your CEO is most likely a technical person themselves, right? And they came up with the product idea. And so the CTO in a lot of instances is just there to manage a lot of the you know architecture decisions that need to be made, security decisions, how to like grow and scale the team, things like that. And so for me personally at Prefect, I do a lot of different things. Very involved in the product, both implementation details as well as strategy. So just planning out, you know, what's our roadmap look like for the next week, month, two years, whatever. I do a lot of security stuff as well right now. So I I also wear the CISO hat and we're undergoing SOC 2 compliance. So that's in my wheelhouse. A lot of, I guess, technical mentorship. 
So, you know, any, any engineer that's trying to learn a new piece of the system or understand a new use case, you know, I'm there to potentially help or, or pair them with someone that could help. We do a lot of partnerships. So a lot of technical integrations with other companies and maybe you want to co-market. And so I'll, you know, get involved with our partnership team there. Sales. So I join sales calls. If anyone needs a technical deep dive that's like, you know, really, really getting in the weeds, then I'm there to help. If we have a really big enterprise contract, I join to potentially provide some confidence, you know, to the technical team. So, I mean, truly everything that is remotely technical, I probably have a little hand in. And actually, so one of the things that I tell people, and this took me personally a long time to get comfortable with is that I think it is actually my job to not have a static job description. I am succeeding if my role looks different every month. And the reason for that, so first off, of course, that's fun. But the actual reason for that is in my wake, I should be leaving stable processes with well-defined owners who are accountable for things. And I'm just kind of moving into the next thing. So like, just as a concrete example, the partnership program I mentioned, is only now being truly formalized with someone who has the title head of partnerships. But up until now for the last year, no clear owner. So, you know, I'm over there helping, you know, think through those things. But now that there's an owner, that burden shifts off of me onto them. And now I'm onto the next thing. That's an awesome uh, explanation of kind of how your day is structured, what you're responsible for. And I think it kind of ties into what we're going to talk about specifically to the product side. But I think really, this probably you know stems to how your team is going to have various different teams formalized as you guys are growing and processes become more mature and I'm sure you'll start divesting some of those roles. I guess you know if we're going to talk about the product management component specifically to kind of get into some you know nitty gritty examples of, of how you're approaching this as a use case, how do you guys handle product management currently? So that's a good question. We, in the last, I think, two months, just hired our first technical product manager. And so our product org is essentially two months old. Up until then, it was owned by both our CEO, Jeremiah, and then all of the engineers kind of jointly. And we had various somewhat casual processes for that. So as of today, though, we're actually building out a really exciting new kind of product lineup at the moment. And so that we're really getting to test the waters of our new setup. So we have enough engineers now where uh, each new, I guess, piece of the product, I should say, gets designated a tech lead on the engineering side. And so they're there for really breaking down functional milestones into concrete tickets. And one of the goals that we charge the tech lead with is at the end of the deliverable, whatever it is, it gets delivered. We should be able to ask essentially anyone that was involved some question about how things work, and they should have at least a decent response to it. So I guess another way of phrasing this is a tech lead, one of their responsibilities is to make sure that knowledge is you know, duplicated and shared across the team, and they're not just taking all the hard stuff and you know, giving other people commodity tickets. So that's one piece of it. The other piece is, so the new product team, their job is to break down whatever it is we're trying to deliver into functional milestones with target dates. We don't do any sort of like pointing or anything like that. We just do it based on timelines and we try to pad our timelines, you know, generously while still being somewhat aggressive. And then on top of that, we have three days a week, a standup for whatever group is working on it. And those standups can be long. So calling it a standup is maybe incorrect because 
they're longer than what a typical standup is. The idea is any open questions, let's work through them. Any decisions that need to be made that might be impactful, let's work through those. Someone, you know, hey, I need, I'm not going to be as available today. So like my milestone needs someone else to pick it up, that sort of thing. And so that's currently the setup. I guess one other aspect of our process now is we try really hard to be documentation first. So we start with a design doc that explains, you know, the user-facing API, start to venture into some of the edge cases we anticipate to uncover and implementing it. And we just, this document becomes a living document. And so as we're building and implementing, we're revisiting this document and, you know, filling in the gaps so that eventually it can morph both into something internal that, you know, we can all reference to make sure that we understand how it's intended to work. But also, uh, this becomes a really nice template for the public-facing documentation so that people can also understand how the system works and what reasonable expectations are. I don't think that it falls into any one like named process, though. It's a little bit of a lot of difference, and it's a mashup. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I mean, you, you hired your first you know, technical PM, and obviously there's some move to documentation first. I guess as you guys grow in headcount, when do you see the process becoming more product driven, right? So right now, I mean, the engineers are still pretty involved. There's only one, you know, one technical you know, PM there. What do you see that, you know, where you need to actually start formalizing that? Or is there a tipping point where you need to potentially do that? Yeah. So a rule of thumb we use for a lot of things, including this one, is that we shouldn't look to formalize anything until there is a problem we're solving and doing so. So if not specifying, you know, what's the rules of the game are for a little while is working, then that's great. There's maybe no need to write it down and make it a formal thing. So the second though, and of course, that doesn't always last very long. It's always a temporary state of the world. So the second a problem arises or a constraint arises, that's when we say, okay, now is the time to say, this is not something engineers should be doing product needs to be doing it. So the way that we're iterating there currently, so first off, product is making these milestones, but then second off, product is also entering the QA phase, right? Where they now get to say, this is not satisfying the user story that we set out. Whereas before, engineers just determined that themselves, like this feels good, you got an approval on the PR, therefore it's good to ship. So it's very iterative process though. Gotcha, it makes sense. And I guess when you're wearing multiple hats and, you know, at a point, engineers are all wearing multiple hats. Is there a, a lot of diminishing returns in terms of you know how many more hats you can wear until you're like, listen, I you know you're talking about obviously a problem or constraint is just bandwidth of the team one of those components, or, or are you kind of looking at other things to identify you know making sure that people are still productive while tackling new things? Yeah, I think. I mean, at a personal level, how many hats you can wear is, I think, a very personal thing. Just depends on how easily you can context switch. That's definitely a skill that you need if you're going to wear a lot of hats is really fast context switching. But at the org or process level, the thing that I've noticed as a turning point for when too many hats are being worn by someone is if they are responsible for you know, some set of decisions. So let's just use product as an example. Jeremiah and myself, so Jeremiah's CEO, were effectively the product people for a while. And so what that means is any release, any, you know, really big change or idea we had to be involved in and help guide, make a decision. Does this design look correct, et cetera? 
But eventually, we were becoming blockers because we're like, oh, I can't get to that for another four hours or something like that or tomorrow. And so now someone's sitting there idly waiting for our decision or our approval or feedback, whatever. And that's the moment when it's like, okay, this isn't working. We have a decision block. And so I guess a way to rephrase that is I look for bottlenecks in the decision-making process. And that's basically what scaling is to me, is expanding the amount of people that are well-equipped to make decisions on behalf of the product or the company or the org. And so the TPM, for example, is you know the best representation of that. This is now a third person who can speak on behalf of the product, et cetera. And so things move faster now. I like your yeah, bottlenecks and decision-making process. I like that. And I guess when it comes to you know, someone that is wearing multiple hats, I mean, very typical in startups. How do you view, like, if someone's like, you know, I really like this other component of the job that I'm working on. And I know, you know, I'm not an expert in it. I'm kind of doing it here and I'm learning trial by fire. But instead of hiring someone, I want to be able to tackle that. You know, it's just an area that I want to grow into. How do you view those type of, you know, dynamics? I think... Generally, they're very good things. I tell everyone that I interview for a role at Prefect that, you know, everyone joins a company of our size where Series B, growing quickly, quickly approaching 40 to 50 employees, but like still a lot of room to grow, right? And so everyone wants their equity to become something they want, you know, whatever. There's some some vision they have. All of that's probabilistic. The one thing that you can guarantee joining a company of our size is career growth. And what the question you're asking, I think, is that career growth, what it looks like is there's things that need to be done. There's no well-defined owner. So someone has to kind of step up and do it. And that's an opportunity for them to grow, to see a different side of the coin, whatever the case may be. So I always encourage that, you know, up to a point. I think the key thing is just that when you do that, you have to also kind of take on the, I mean, just the accountability for the decisions that you're making. And you just have to recognize that like, if you do make a decision, even if, you know, it is your first time making it and you're still kind of figuring it out, like you have to own that. And that's, that is though how you learn and grow is that you, you know, you actually feel the consequences of the decision and you're like, okay, now I see why that was a bad or a good decision. And so, yeah, I, I guess a short answer though, is I generally encourage it. And, you know, when you're small, there's very rarely like conflicts of interest or anything where people are both competing to do one thing. It's like, no, no, then you can collaborate on it and you both do it. And that's totally fine. And I mean, you guys are pretty fast growing. I mean, what do you envision if you were again, just focusing on the product side, how would you ideally have the team set up? I guess if you were looking to scale, you know, 30, 40 more, you know, engineers to the team to kind of keep growing and delivering, how how do you view, I guess, the ultimate uh, paradigm looking? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So right now we're still relatively flat and grouped from a management perspective. We're grouped by essentially tech stack. So I'd say they're horizontal teams. So there's the front end team, there's the Python team, there's the infrastructure team, et cetera. Works well for now. One of the goals up to this point has been to try to get everyone to think at the systems level and full stack, right? Like when you build a UI feature, you're hitting the back end API. You should think through the consequences of that and maybe ask the DevOps team to set up some alerts or monitoring for you on that route so you can understand you know, how it's being used in the UI, things like that. But we're quickly approaching a point where that's creating 
these types of bottlenecks where each of these groups now has their own priority queue. And right, this is, I think everyone's seen this before. So the backend team hands something over to the front-end team, or I guess that's it's usually the other way around. The front-end team hands something over to the back-end team, says, hey, we need this route. The back-end team has some priority queue, so they get to it when they get to it. And then they go back to the UI team and say, okay, it's done. But the UI team has their own things they're working through. And so it's like, you don't get to ship as quickly. And so the goal for us is going to be to restructure folks on delivery teams. And so we've already done this with infrastructure. That one was was very easy. So we now have you know a dedicated infrastructure platform team. And so eventually, what that looks like for Prefect is going to be maybe a little tricky for us to determine because our open source code really influences our backend code in a lot of different ways. So we have some shared implementations of things. The open source, of course, talks to the backend a lot. And so we're going to have to figure out what those product delivery teams look like that are both slim enough to be highly efficient, but, you know, not so slim that they're just doing like one tiny little thing. Like it has to be a meaningful grouping. So I don't totally know what that looks like for us quite yet. That is the goal though, is are these delivery teams. So they're full stack teams, you know, front end, back end, everyone on one team. And then with some isolated piece of the product that they own. Yeah. And obviously it's kind of hard to kind of forecast what, things are going to look like sometimes in the future, but could you envision potentially a, you know, a director of product or a you know, product management leader being brought in to do that and kind of structure the team? Or do you feel that, you know, based on, you know, the organic growth you guys are seeing, it's something you guys will try to fit best the w- way you know, and then w- at one point, you know, maybe bringing an outside hire to kind of help improve processes. Because it sounds like you guys kind of thrive with, you know, you yourself wearing multiple hats, you know, giving people an opportunity to grow into roles, owning the decisions. Yeah, I mean, we even tell people that we like to thrive in ambiguity, right? As long as we can maintain that ambiguity, the better. Our TPM is a very seasoned product manager. And so I fully expect that, you know, and they've only been here for, like I said, only a month or two. I fully expect that they're really going to grow into a larger role where they have a little bit more opinions on these sorts of things. And we always do kind of going back to that career growth thing. Another goal, right, is that anytime there is a more senior position to fill, like first and foremost, we should look internally. And then if there isn't anyone internal, then of course we go external. So we try where feasible to not hire above. So yeah, definitely may end up doing that if we start to see some you know constraints bottlenecks or if we can't figure out the problem ourselves for sure. And another thing that we do that is very unique actually related to this is we don't have a really, really small group of advisors. We actually do the exact opposite. We have a massive group of advisors. This actually comes from, we were inspired by the DocuSign model. So our uh, chief revenue officer was the chief of staff to the CEO at DocuSign, learned a lot of lessons there. And this is the way that they did it, is basically creating this community of advisors with very low burden, right? We don't have to talk to them every week or anything, but throughout a given year, we might call up an advisor a couple of times, handful of times. So they represent a diverse set of experiences. And so that's another place when we do run into questions that maybe you know, we can't answer purely internally, we'll look to our advisory board. And, you know, if you go check them out, there's a lot of very impressive people on there that have a lot of insight into how these things should look and work. 
I guess uh, I was going to ask you a last question. What one hat are you going to want to give up last? Maybe outside of the traditional C tier, because you do wear a couple of, you know, outside the typical responsibilities. What are you going to want to give up last potentially yourself? I think basically the sales engineering hat. So I was essentially our first sales engineer with our head of sales where, you know, I was joining all the sales calls and kind of helped us start that process. And one thing we recognized in doing that together was that the feedback cycles were really, really useful for our product. Like I could hear people's questions like, oh, they perceived that and that, you know, we should lean into that or that was really incorrect. Why did they perceive it? I can go make a change to resolve that confusion. And so something that we've done is we have bi-weekly sales engineering collaboration sessions. Sales presents lots of stuff they're hearing on the ground, a lot of questions they're seeing. We give them previews and demos of features that are up and coming, you know, little things like that, like some Easter eggs they might be able to, to hand out, like feature gates or something. And so just keeping that relationship really close, because I've definitely seen in other places when that diverges and then sales is kind of selling a, almost a different product with a different tone than what the engineers and product are building and the way they're thinking about it. So yeah, I definitely want to be involved with that for as long as, as possible. I like it. I mean, it sounds like you guys do a lot of exciting things and uh, exciting environment, to be honest. Everything you described, you know, I think you guys have uh, a very opportunity-driven culture to give people that those chances to kind of step up and learn and grow into roles that you know, maybe they weren't doing two months, six months ago. So I think that's, that's an awesome environment to be in. And best of luck, hopefully, as you guys uh, keep scaling. Yeah, thanks, Mary. Yeah, and I guess just to put like two things on that, we have a ton of emphasis on education. So every engineer gets signed up for a Riley learning platform, really generous education budget that you can spend on any topic that you're interested in learning. And if any of this sounds interesting to you, we are aggressively hiring. So definitely go check out our careers page and or contact me directly even. Awesome. We'll include your LinkedIn. So if someone does want to reach out for I mean, anything you talked about firstly, and then secondly, if uh, somebody wants to... Uh, Talk about opportunities at Prefect. Uh, hey, Chris, up. I'm sure it uh, sounds like they have a role that could uh, work at this point. Definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. So thanks for being on again. And um, that's it for this episode. We'll be back again with a different guest, different topic. Uh, I always ask two things. One is if you do want me to speak to something specific, hit me up on LinkedIn. Let me know what uh, topics you want me to cover, and I'll do my best to find the right guests. And secondly, if you do like the podcast, if it's been helpful, if uh, you find it interesting, keep sharing it. I think that's how we've been growing. So I thank everyone who does, because otherwise it's all been organic and it's been a fantastic ride. Until next time, thanks. 